As we turn to God's word, we're going to be turning to the second chapter of John's gospel, the second chapter, and there we're going to be reading about uh, the first sign that John gives us, and you say, well, what is he giving us signs about? Well, if you, if you look in chapter 20, verse 31, he's written this whole gospel so that you may believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that in believing in Christ you may have life. And you say, well, what does that mean? It means that you might live with purpose, that you might fulfill the purpose of your being born in this world, that God has given you the breath of life, and therefore there's a reason that you have been given that life that you now live, and that life is meant to be a representation of your worship of the one God who made you. But he tells us in the beginning of the gospel that when this person who created us came into the world, that through him all things were created, that the world did not recognize him. And he was that light that gave life to everyone. And no one recognized him. And it still goes on today. This morning as we look at John chapter 2, I invite you now to hear God's word and it is our custom in the Reformed faith to stand as we hear God's word. Would you join me in standing? John writes, on the third day, a, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. And Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, Jesus... They have no more wine. Woman, why, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to his servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted that water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew and then he came to the bridegroom, he called the bridegroom aside, and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now? What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Well, today we're, we're experiencing an American tradition. Half of you don't care. The other half aren't sure. But it's called the Super Bowl. And as we celebrate Super Bowl Sunday, everything that has been going on this past week has been focused on which team is going to win. I have talked to someone who told me of a man who won a bet last week, and I think he won $5 million in this bet on the playoffs. 
He has decided that he is going to bet all that money on the Bengals this weekend. And uh, he has made promises that he's going to do something with that money to help the poor, uh, which is a noble goal, but there's always some kind of angle behind it. <laughs> and it's amazing as we come to this time that everyone wants a piece of the glory of the Super Bowl. Have you noticed that? The glory of the Super Bowl. Well, what do we mean? Well, when all this is said and done, when, when 9 o'clock uh, comes tonight, there'll be one team that will celebrate victory, and they will glory in that victory. And that all the people of our country who pulled for them will glory in their victory, and then it will pass. And it will be forgotten. Can you remember who won the Super Bowl five years ago? No. And yet glory is something we all know about. It is something that we hope for in our life. We glory. Some of you glory in your children. Some of you glory in your marriage. Some of you glory in your work. You, you find such satisfaction, fulfillment, meaning, purpose in that. You glory in it. Well, John's writing his gospel that you might see the glory of Jesus Christ. And because you perceive that glory, you believe in him. And by believing in him, you will have life. But there'll be some who won't see it. And that's the shocking part of this. It is why he wrote this morning about this wedding feast, because as he's writing this gospel, he wants you to see the glory of Jesus that's the whole purpose of this first sign. If we approach this text in any other manner, we're going to miss it. And let me tell you, this text has been interpreted in so many ways by so many people through the history of the church, it's really almost comical. But I want you to look at the text, if you don't have your Bible open, open it for yourself and look very carefully that it is a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the first thing you need to recognize is the place. Cana of Galilee was not the blue that not the blue blood area of the, of the country of Israel, Jerusalem was. The area of Galilee was a mixed race community of those who were believers and unbelievers, those who were Jews and non-Jews. And so in light of that, it's in that particular venue that Jesus has been pushed, prompted. No, it says he was invited with the family to the wedding. And that's really the first thing you need to remember. There are three words that I want to show you this morning that have significance in this story. The first is the wedding, the second is wine, and the last is a, a sign. Well, let's look at this wedding. What is it about? Well, obviously Mary either was part of the family or at least they were friends of the family because weddings like they are today were very personal and you only invited people who you really loved. And in that day that Jesus was there at this feast, at this wedding, he was there simply as a guest. And when he is at this wedding, it is a wedding that is like every other wedding of the faith of the Jews. And that is, it is a representation of what God intended for us as humans, but more importantly, of God's relationship with his people. You go back in the Old Testament and you will see over and over and over again how God calls himself uh, God calls himself the bridegroom, and he calls his people the, the, the bride. And so this, this whole imagery of God's covenant love for his people is, is even shown in the way they would marry each other. 
And so when a woman was taken into a man's house, the groom would show up and take the woman and put his cloak or his protection over her so that he would now become the one who would provide and care for her and she would be enfolded into him and the two would become one. The most amazing part of this, and it's different from the way we have weddings today, the amazing part of this is today we think of weddings being more of about the bride, don't we? I mean, let's face it, I've been in this place right here where we've had weddings and the bride comes in and, and the music plays, here comes the bride, right? Yeah. And you, wanna, you just want to get some kind of, uh, what do they call those instruments they use to help planes land? You know what I'm talking about, the lights? You just want to do like this. I say, okay, honey, come on down, you know, a little to the left, a little to the right. All right, everybody stand right here. And, and the whole focus is on the bride, but in that day, the focus was on the groom. In that day, the groom and his power and prestige and position was so important to the wedding because he was the provider. Now, those of you who have daughters, you'll like the way the Jewish wedding was done because the, the groom was responsible for the cost of the wedding, not the bride or the bride's family. And so the groom was responsible to make sure there was plenty of wine available for the entire, entire wedding. And guess how long the wedding would last? No less than a week, and sometimes two weeks. And there had to be a lot of wine, right? That brings us to the second part of the story, and that is the wine itself. The wine had run out. Notice how Jesus is approached. Basically, he's just an attendant. He's there as an observer. There's no really ministry happening, but it is the first sign that begins the ministry of Jesus in John's gospel. From this chapter going forward, we will see Jesus beginning to go about his ministry in the, in the land of Israel, teaching and preaching about the kingdom of heaven. But here, he's just an observer. And it's at that point where this tragedy comes. There is even records that if grooms who are responsible for the wedding run out of wine, they could actually have been sued by the bride's family. No kidding. And the most amazing part of this is that the wine ran out. And Mary, either being part of the wedding itself or a friend of the groom, and the shame realizing the shame that would come upon the groom himself for the fact that he hadn't planned well. She, in her panic, comes to Jesus. And in that engagement, Mary's relationship with Jesus would be forever changed. You see, up until that moment, and we have no record of Joseph, do we? We have no record of Joseph being anywhere. And so it is obvious that at this point, Mary had come to depend upon Jesus as the firstborn son. And so when she saw the problem, just like any mother would, she runs to her son and says, they're out of wine. And it's at that point that Jesus gives her a very loving but a clear rebuke, a drawing of, of a line, a boundary for the, his mother from this point on. He says to her very clearly, and if you see it in chapter 2, you'll notice it. He says, what does this have to do with me? My time has not yet come. In that statement, he lays out for his mother that at that point, 
when it came to his ministry, Jesus was not to do her will. He was to do the will of the Father. It kind of reminds you of the saying of the Old Testament that a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two will become one. There's a change that happens in a wedding. The change was not just for the groom and the bride in this situation. It was for anyone associated with Jesus because Jesus only had one relationship that he was living out and that was to please the Father. And the glory of Jesus was being manifested even in this moment. Well, the wine is important because it also is a symbol in the Old Testament of joy, of rejoicing, of joy, of rejoicing. And so one of the things the Old Testament prophets, Ezekiel and others, talked about was when the Messiah would come, he would supply wine that would never run out. And it would be feasting in joy of God accomplishing what no person could do for themselves. The great banquet wedding feast. Have you ever heard of that? It's that, it's that moment when Christ returns when he is going to have every one of us at this huge banquet table. And we're just going to drink and eat and celebrate. And it's never going to stop. It's never going to end. It's going to be a sign of a newness that God is going to breathe into our lives where sin will be removed. And now the glorification of our salvation will be accomplished. All the things we wrestle with right now, the temptations, the struggles, they'll all be gone. Imagine that. Can you imagine that? I got a taste of that when I went through surgery Years ago, I was at the Baptist Hospital in Winston-Salem, and a woman was coming in, and she said, Mr. Howard, I'm going to give you a muscle relaxer in your IV, and you're going to feel this in about 30 seconds. And I said, okay. And this is pre-op. This is before they wheel you into the surgery. And so as I was laying there, she, she started in giving this into my IV, and I looked at it dripping in, and I just thought, oh, well, you know. Well, I looked at the clock, 30 seconds passed, and I went like this and she came over and I, she said is there something wrong and I said <laughs> she said I'm sorry Mr. Howard can you say that again I said, <laughs> and I suddenly realized it was happening and it felt like somebody had dipped me in a warm bath and I felt no anxiety I was completely Some of you have been addicted to drugs because you're looking for what Jesus offers in heaven. And a drug, a drug helps us understand that we're filled with anxieties, anxious about so many things. The wine is a representation that when Jesus comes, he will remove that from our lives completely. Amen. What a glorious day that's going to be. Well, that brings me to the last point of the sermon. Some of you were looking at your watch already. I wish that wasn't the case. but There's so much more to hear to teach. The sign. What it's about. If you turn back to the text, look very carefully. If you turn back to the text... It talks about a relationship that Jesus wants to have with you this morning where you don't have to wait for the great banquet. 
What do you mean? Well, when the master of the banquet got the cup of wine and he realized it was better than anything that had been served before, he went to the groom because he didn't know who else to look to and said, this is such an ironic thing that you would serve the best last. I'm, what do you think the groom said? Right? Well, here's the joy of this. When Jesus heard the wine was out, he said, take these jars. They were probably made out of a, a rock that would not allow bacteria or infections to be. It was a purity vessel, a ceremonial vessel. And he took those because they were used for purification of sin. Meaning that the people who came to the wedding feast because of the law of God knew that they were not right. They needed cleansing. So they take the water, they draw it out of these deep vases, which we think is maybe as much as 150 gallons. And they would draw the water out and they would pour it on your hands or on the utensils to make sure they were clean and sanitized and properly prepared to be used before God. And Jesus fills this up with wine as a symbol that what he's going to give will be a cleansing that will never have to be cleansed again. In the Old Testament, the law was given to show us our sin so that we would see it and repent and confess it. And Jesus says, if you confess your sins... God is faithful and just. He will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The jars could only supply water to cleanse the outside. Jesus was going to supply something that could cleanse you inside. And when the wine was served, the only people who knew were the servants and the disciples what they had done what Jesus had done. And look what John says, verse 11. This was the first sign that Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. Notice. He thus revealed his glory. What does that mean? The only way sins can be forgiven is for the shedding of blood and Jesus was pointing, even in that sign, that he had come to go to the cross for you. So that by receiving and believing in him, he would cleanse you and prepare you for your encounter with the Father. So that you would not stand before God in shame, but he would call you blameless and holy. Blameless. I blame myself all the time for things. But because of the blood of Christ and your faith in Christ, your life is now hid in Jesus in such manner that God looks at you and he says, Come, child, my blameless, holy, perfect child.
Would you pray with me? Father, how could you call me blameless? I, I have so much sin. And yet this first sign is a, a reminder of the reason you have come, is that, that in reading this gospel, I might believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And in believing in you, I would have life. I thank you, God, that I cannot earn this, that it is your gift. And by that gift, we are changed. The most heartbreaking thing about this gospel is that there are still people who hear of Jesus and are unchanged. There may be someone in the sound of my voice this morning who is suddenly realizing that there is no amount of goodness they can perform to make them acceptable to you, O oh God. If they stood before you today, they would be resigned to the depths of hell because of their choices and what they have done in their life. But you, through your great mercy, Offer this morning to anyone who would receive him, to those who would call upon the name of Jesus, you would give them the right to be called the children of God. So that any one of us who is not in your family can come now and receive you. By simply asking, Lord, forgive me. Come into my life, change me so that I begin to pursue you because I see your glory. I glory in what you did for me. In the name of Christ we pray and the people of God said together.